We'll continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 Kings. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We're going to cover all of chapter 18, see if we can get into chapter 19. We'll see how far the Lord gets us tonight. So 1 Kings chapter 18 is what we're going to cover tonight in our study of 1 Kings. Also, while you're turning there, just a couple things I want to remind you of. Ladies, a week from tomorrow um, starts the Thursday morning ladies' study. And uh, that's 9.30 to 11, and there is child care for that. Uh, if you're planning to um, be a part of that lady study, and in the bulletin it tells um, what it is that you're going to study. I can't think of it right now. Uh, Jerry Bridges. The Gospel for Real Life. The Gospel for Real Life. Thank you. So um, sign up today, all right, because we need to order those books like yesterday, okay? And uh, so we want to make sure you have a book and uh, you're ready to go next Thursday. So sign up for that. And, um, and there's a number of ladies already signed up for that. So Thursday morning, lady study. Also, Saturday, guys, um, men's golf is filled up, so you're all set to go. And then ladies, there is um, the ladies event that Teresa Romero is hosting. And so sign up for that so Teresa can take that and uh, plan for that on Saturday, 4 o'clock. And she'll provide hamburgers and bring a dish. And um, it sounds like a wonderful time. And uh, so, ladies, enjoy yourselves on Saturday. It's supposed to be a beautiful day on Saturday. Uh, it's nice to see some cooler weather coming in, isn't it? So I don't know about you, but it is nice to me. Uh, and then on Sunday, uh, we are going to have um, our Sunday morning services, 8.30, 10.30. We're going to continue in First John. So we covered Chapter 1 last Sunday, and we'll cover the first 11 verses of Chapter 2. So if you want to read ahead... And uh, 1 John is a powerful study for us, very practical book, just as James was. And so invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel as we just gather once again for worship and to study God's Word, 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday. Um, there are some other things that are there in your bulletin. Take a look, Thursday night, uh, young adults. Oh, Friday is young couples, um, married couples fellowship. So young married couples 6.30 to 8 o'clock, we'll have child care. If you want to bring a dessert, um, bring a dessert to share. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to get to know some other married uh, young couples. And uh, we want to provide to where, you know, those who have young kids can do that. Also, we are going to have a flyer um, in the uh, bulletin on Sunday. And I'll just go ahead and make the announcements. Um, as the ministry grows and as we see more people and more kids, we need some help in the nursery, so we'll be praying about that, particularly Wednesday and then Sunday morning at the 8.30 service. So be praying about that. We'll announce that. We always want to let you know what the needs are um, here at Calvary Chapel. So um, that is something that is available. Also, another ministry opportunity. And uh, we want to let you know about these opportunities for you to serve the Lord. We're doing some work out there, and you notice that we have that new area that we're building and that's where the uh, multimedia, uh, uh, you know, uh, is going to be set up there where you can get your CDs and MP3s and things like that. And so we need a painter like uh, tomorrow or Friday so we can continue on. So it's not a lot to paint, but we do need some help. And uh, so if you got, you know, an hour, uh, I think it'd take an hour, maybe two hours at the most to paint. Uh, let Pastor Jim know, or myself after service, or um, Jerry Sanders, one of us, and, um, and then we'll get you set up for that. So either tomorrow or Friday is what they're hoping, so we can keep working on that and get that done. All right, so that would be a blessing, so throwing that out there. 
You should be at 1 Kings chapter 18. Make sure you take a look at your bulletin. There's other things that are there. I can't remember it all. I don't have a bulletin with me. We had to give them all away. And uh, so make sure you look at that. And we always update everything on our webpage, ccgrilly.com. 1 Kings chapter 18 is where you should be tonight. Um, it is at this time in the history of Israel. And this section of the Old Testament is called the historical books. And what it does is it tells a lot of the history from the time that Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, as we read in the book of Exodus, clear up to the time that the house of Israel will go into captivity, and then the house of Judah will go into captivity, and then what takes place after the captivity is over. And so this section of the uh, book of the historical books in 1 Kings chapter 18, what we see in this uh, time of Israel's history is that the nation has split, as you know. And the house of Israel up north is the ten northern tribes, and they have uh, had a difficult time because Jeroboam, their first king, as we saw, that would come on the scene, it was the prophet that came to Jeroboam and said that if you follow after the Lord and the commandments of the Lord, then I will establish your house just as I've done with David. But Jeroboam did not do that. And what he did was he set up a place of idol worship in Dan and then at Bethel, uh, a temple dedicated to the golden calf in each of those two places. And what we have seen with the house of Israel, it has gone from bad to worse. And in chapter 16, what we saw is that there was succession of kings in the house of Israel that we read. And it was assassinations, it was murder, it was suicide, it was all these things going on, civil war that was taking place. And isn't it um, quite, you know, demonstrated and graphic and illustrated to us as we read through these chapters here in 1 Kings chapter 8, when they dedicated the temple how much of a contrast uh, between chapter 8 and chapter 16. Chapter 8, every man went home to his own tent with gladness of heart because the great things that the Lord had done. The nation was experiencing great peace and prosperity and, and great joy in the hearts of men because they were dedicated to the Lord. And they had come together in unity and, and the Lord was blessing the nation. And it would be a short time later in their history when you go into chapter 16 that all of a sudden there's civil war and there's turmoil, there's idol worship that has taken place. And it really, again, it shows us and illustrates to us what happens to a people and what happens to a nation when they begin to forsake the Lord. And that's why it reminds us, particularly at this time when we're seeing the political conventions taking place and uh, we're heading towards an election here in just a couple months uh, to elect our leaders and a new president, we need to be praying for our nation because we're seeing a nation that is following the same pattern the house of Israel and the house of Judah was, and that is getting away from the Lord. And so here, as we end at chapter 16, we saw that Ahab, he comes to the throne of Israel. And Ahab is probably the worst of all the kings of Israel up to this point. And Ahab plunges the nation deep into Baal worship. There in Samaria, he, he would build a temple dedicated to Baal. Samaria is now the capital of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And we saw that in the darkness and in the, the drought that has taken place and, and the famine and the difficulty and the darkness that has now taken place, the Lord sends a light, and that is Elijah. Elijah comes on the scene. 
And so here is Elijah that comes on the scene. He proclaims a drought in chapter 17. Said it's not going to rain until the command of the Lord uh, is there. And so chapter 18, as we saw Elijah, he would then go to Cherith because Ahab wanted to kill him. Cherith was a little brook there, and the ravens were bombing bread to Elijah in those months and couple years that he was there and uh, feeding Elijah. And the brook began to dry up. And then the Lord took him to Serapath, which was up north, uh, away from Israel, up where Sidon was. And there he would be uh, staying with the widow woman. And uh, we saw the miracle of uh, the um, widow and, and her you know, bin of flour that didn't run out as she would cook for Elijah and, uh, and provide for him. And you see, as we talked about last week, and I want to remind you again at this time in our study, that Cherith means cutting. And we know Zarephath means refining. And as the Lord desires for us to be a light in the darkness that we're in, because we are in darkness, aren't we? We see the darkness all around us. And it's interesting that Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he said that Timothy, that in last days it's going to be perilous times. And he would go on to write and say that evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse. And I believe that we're seeing that happen. I believe that uh, it's getting darker and more evil as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And we're going to see more evil men and impostors that will come on the scene. Uh, men falling away from the faith, given over to doctrines of demon and uh, having itchy ears. Paul talks about that to Timothy, that that's what's going to take place in the days in which we're living in. And for you and I to really be a light, and we do have that opportunity, don't we? Even though it is a difficult time for us to be Christians, to make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and stand for truth, I think it's one of the most exciting times and a great opportunity for you and me to be light in the darkness that is all around us, the darkness that is in our community and in our neighborhoods and in our nation and how desperately that people need to see light. But as you desire to do that, there needs to be a cutting away. Just as Cherith, there's a cutting that is the cutting away of those things that are unlike the Lord. Those uh, things that, uh, that we tend to hold on to, uh, self-reliance and pride and all of that. The Lord just wants to take that away. And there needs to be a you know, refining that takes place in our lives as well. All the impurities that the Lord desires to just scrape out of our lives, just as a goldsmith will heat up the gold and the impurities come to the top and then the goldsmith begins to scrape off those impurities and he continues to do that until he can see the master goldsmith, the reflection in the gold. And that's what the Lord does in our life so we can truly be a light to others. So chapter 18, let's pick it up. As it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab called on Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And verse 4 reads, So it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. So there had been drought now for three and a half years. And with the drought, there's a famine that's taken place. And you can understand uh, um, 
and kind of picture how difficult and, and how bad it would be. Now, in our own area here, in much of the Midwest, we're going through a drought, aren't we? It's been a very dry year. And, and matter of fact, some of you guys have lived here a lot longer than I have. I've, I've lived in Colorado for over 30 years, and I don't think that I can remember a summer where it was more hot and more dry than this summer, but perhaps there was. But we know the consequences that we've experienced here in Weld County and in Colorado uh, because of the drought, drought in the land. Can you imagine if that drought continues for another two and a half years where there's absolutely no rain? You can, you can kind of uh, you know, sense how serious it would be and how the plants would begin to dry. And, and of course, the, there'd be no crops. We wouldn't have any water to water them. And that's what's happening here in Israel. The streams are dry, drying up. There's no vegetation, or at least it's dying. Um, things are really bad and famine has happened. But not only is there drought and is there famine that is happening physically and, and geographically, but it is happening spiritually as well. Because the nation has been plunged deep into idol worship for the Baals and the Astaroths that the people are turning to and worshiping. And we are seeing that even in our own nation, aren't we? Even though there is drought physically, we are seeing that there is drought spiritually as well. And again, to remind us the importance of you and me being light and praying for our leaders and praying for our nation, that there will be turning back to the Lord. So here's this drought, but here's the thing to remember. God is still working, isn't he? And maybe as I bring it home a little bit closer to us tonight, that in your own life, maybe it feels like there's drought. And maybe it feels like there's a dryness and it's barren times right now in your life spiritually. I want you to know something, that the Lord is still working. He desires to still work in your life and to do a work and to draw you to himself. And the and Lord here hasn't forsaken his people. He's still desiring to minister to them, to have them come to him. And he would desire for you to come to him as well. And so Elijah is told, you go see wicked Ahab. And when he does, there's Obadiah there. Now Obadiah, his name means servant of God. And he may be the same Obadiah that we have recorded in the Old Testament in the books of the uh, minor prophets. It's a short book. Uh, it's, uh, I believe, the shortest book of the Old Testament. He's the one that prophesied against uh, Edom. And we don't know for sure if this is the same Obadiah because there's 13 Obadiahs that are listed in the Old Testament, so it's a common name. But it was a godly name. And sometimes um, God will place his people in serving those who are really ungodly, just as he does with Obadiah. Obadiah here, as we learn, he was in charge of the house of Ahab. Again, Ahab and his wife Jezebel. We see that Jezebel in verse 4, that she massacred the prophets of the Lord. So she's a very violent woman. Uh, she doesn't hesitate to kill anyone who stands for the Lord, uh, to persecute them, to have them be put to death. So here's Jezebel. She's probably uh, displays and shows uh, that she's really in charge. We get that indication. And uh, she is going to put to death anything that gets in the way of her idol worship. Ahab is a wicked king. And here's Obadiah, one who's a servant of God, who fears the Lord, as we're told here. And yet he is in this place of serving this ungodly king. And sometimes we wonder, Lord, why would you do that? But the Lord has his purposes. And we see here that Obadiah is being used to protect and provide a hundred of the prophets that were not killed by Jezebel. They're hiding in caves and 50 to a cave here. And how difficult that would be, wouldn't it? 
I mean, think about it, that Obadiah, because he's in charge of the house, and we know that many of the prophets of Baal are at the table eating with Jezebel and Ahab, as well as the prophets of Asterisk, so there's a lot of leftovers. So he's able to, to find a way to feed these guys with bread and water. He's risking his own life. It's not easy. It's difficult. But yet he does it because he is a servant of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord will place you and maybe you're in this place tonight. It may be in a place where you have an ungodly boss or an ungodly supervisor. Or you're in a place where there's not much righteousness that is there or godly people that is there. But you have an opportunity to be an Obadiah. Do you know that? to be a servant of the Lord and, and to be a light. It's like Daniel. He was there in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was only about 17 years old. Do you realize that when he went off into captivity? And there he made a stand for the Lord in Daniel chapter 1. And he determined in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. And he was one that was used of the Lord to be a witness to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, because of that witness, eventually the scriptures indicate to us in Daniel chapter 5 that he came to the Lord. Now, not every ungodly boss or supervisor that, that we are placed under will come to the Lord. But we have opportunity to serve the Lord and be faithful to him and be a light and, 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 you know, to be a witness, hopefully that perhaps some will come to the Lord, but be a witness to others around you as well. And God will use you where you're at. So don't be discouraged. I know it's difficult, but allow the Lord to use you where you're at. And so here's Obadiah in this place. And he's making a stand for the Lord. Um, he's putting his life on the line. In verse 5, And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go to the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and the mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. So they sought relief from the drought. They're trying to find some grass. They're trying to find any place that's got a, a little bit of a greenery so the livestock can go there and graze on it. And they don't have to stop, you know, uh, or start killing the livestock because they're going to die anyway. So Ahab here tells Obadiah, you go one way, I'll go another way. And as I said to you, he sought relief from the drought, but he did not seek the reason for the drought. You see, Ahab wasn't interested in, in wondering why is the drought happening. And we know that when the Lord made his covenant with the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai, when Moses brought the children of Israel to the mountain of God, that God made his covenant with them. And he said, if you follow after me, I'm going to bless you. And part of that blessing is going to be I'll send the rains and, and water the land and you'll have good crops and, and I'm going to send you to land that's flowing with milk and honey. But if you forsake me, then the rains are going to dry up and there's going to be famine, there's going to be locusts. And you see, Ahab wasn't interested in, in knowing why the reasons for the drought. But again, as we talk about this and make application, Maybe in our own lives, if once again that we find ourselves in a season that we're feeling a little dry spiritually, we're going through our own drought, it's a good thing to stop and say, Lord, why am I going through this? And it may be various reasons why you're going through it. But to say, Lord, not only do I want relief from this, and I need to be refreshed and renewed by you, but Lord, why is it that I'm going through this? Is it an attitude of the heart? 
Is it a, a correction that you're bringing to me? Is it that you're just refining me? That's what you're doing in my life. But the Lord will begin to reveal things to you as you study his word and through the study of the word. And as you just go to him, as he's going to speak to you in that still small voice, just as he's going to do with Elijah in the next chapter. But always go to the Lord and say, Lord, why is it that I'm feeling this, this spiritual drought, this famine, this dryness? And you're going to see that the Lord desires to minister to you. And so that's what's happening as they go in different directions. And Ahab, he, he's trying to uh, find relief, but not the reason. And verse 7, now, as Abadiah, Obadiah, that is, was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, it is I, go tell your master that Elijah is here. And so he said, have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hands of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. In verse 11, and now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. So understandably, as Elijah uh, runs into Obadiah and tells him, go and tell the, the King Ahab that I'm here and we're going to meet. Obadiah, he fears for his life. He knows that his master is a very cruel man and married to a cruel woman, Jezebel. And, and he's been hunting for you, Elijah. And I know what's going to happen. As soon as I go back and I tell Ahab that, that Elijah, I saw him, he's here, then all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord is going to take you away and, and you'll be somewhere else because he's been looking all over the place for you. No one's been able to find you and he wants to see you, so you better be here or else I'm going to be killed. And Obadiah, understandably, you can see why he's afraid. And he says, I don't want to do that because yeah, I'm afraid you'll disappear and then he's going to take my life and be upset if, if you don't come. But I want to stop here just for a second in verse 12, draw attention again that it says that Obadiah feared the Lord from his youth is what he says. I feared the Lord from my youth. He has a godly name, right? Obadiah. He was given that godly name, the servant of the Lord. And so it's very clear that he had godly parents. You see, many of the parents were naming their kids after the gods of, of Baal and Astaroth and pagan names they were getting, but not Obadiah. It was a name that reflected that we're going to raise our child to where he's going to fear the Lord. So I want to encourage you parents, moms and dads, that how important it is the day in which we're living in, which it is getting darker and more difficult, that you raise your children in the ways of the Lord, and not only in the ways of the Lord, but in the fear of the Lord. You see, you don't hear a whole lot about that in the church today. Uh, pastors don't like to talk about the fear of the Lord because, you know, it's going to be a big bummer, you know, or it's not a, a nice message or a good message. But the fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. 
And here's Obadiah that he was raised to fear the Lord. He was a servant of the Lord. And to raise our children in the ways of the Lord, part of that is to raise them to fear the Lord. And that simply means that you have a reverence for the Lord that we realize that the God that we worship, the true and living God is an awesome God and that he is holy and he is to be revered, he is to be worshiped and um, there's none like him. So having that reverence for him, having that, that deep sense of awe and worship for him, that's the fear of the Lord. It isn't just where I tremble in an unhealthy way that I'm afraid that God's gonna zap me, you know, and get me and, and bring judgment upon me. But the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing. And we need to remind ourselves of that and our children as well as they grow up to fear the Lord as we teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord, to just have a reverence for God, that he is a holy God, and that he is an awesome God, all-powerful and all-knowing God. And that was Obadiah. He says, I've, I've feared the Lord from my youth and how important it is, parents, listen, we here at Calvary Chapel and our children's ministry and our youth ministry, that we want to minister the truth of God's word to your kids. We place a high priority on that. But you have the primary responsibility to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. And I hope that the day in which we're living in, that parents, that you would take that very, very seriously. It is the command of the Lord it is very important in the day in which we're living in that we take the time to do that with our children, to get them, uh, in, you know, where they're strong in the Word of God, where they know the Word, where we're praying with them, that we're speaking to them about the things of the Lord, that we're giving them truth, because there's going to be all kinds of pulls that are going to come against our children to pull them away from the truth of God's Word, from the love of God's Word, and the way that God wants them to live in their lives. And we have them for a short time. I've realized that because I have two of my kids that are now off into college and they grow up so quickly. So we can't afford to say as, as parents or grandparents, well, I hope my kids do okay. You know, I, I, I hope that uh, they, they, they learn to walk with the Lord. We have a part of that. And certainly they're going to have to make up their their own minds and make their own decisions eventually to walk with the Lord. But what we are to do is give them a very firm and solid foundation and raising them in the ways and admonition of the Lord. And that is something that I hope that every parent here or grandparent, or if you have influence as an uncle or an aunt uh, with children uh, and nephews and nieces, that I have opportunity to be a blessing in that way and to take that very seriously. So here is Obadiah blessed because he had godly parents that raised him in that way. In verse 15, we read, Then Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. So Elijah says, I'm going to see him today. I'm not going to go off in a fiery chariot or anything like that today. I will meet with Ahab. In verse 17, as they meet, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, him, is that you, old troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So it, it seems like that 
um, as we look at this, that even today, as we see here in our text, Elijah meets Ahab, and Ahab, he says to Elijah, is that you, Elijah, you troubler of Israel? Isn't it amazing today, as our society and our nation gets further away from God, is who is it that the people like to blame for our troubles? It's the Christians. You Christians. You know, it, it, you bring your self-righteous, you know, judgment and judging us, and who are you with, you know, tell us what is sinful and what is wrong and all of this. And I think we're going to see more of that, folks. So, again, we need to be ones. Our weapon is in, in ministering to others. The weapons of our warfare are we are to give truth and we're to do it in love. But they go together. And as we do there are going to be those that are going to come along and say, well, you're just a troubler. You know, who are you to tell me that, that I'm living a sinful lifestyle, that this is wrong? Because we live in a society where we are calling evil good and, and that we, you know, are calling good evils what society is doing. And we are to be a witness to others, but don't be surprised if it, there are those who will come against the Christians more and more, especially as we get closer to the return of the Lord. It was Jesus that said, hey, you know what? They're going to hate you because of my namesake, but they hated me first. And know that when you become a Christian and that when you stand for the Lord, the world is not going to applaud you. The world is not going to be your friend. The world is not going to, to support you. The world's going to come against you. And that's why we need to understand, just as Jesus said, that a servant is not above his master. If they persecuted me and hated me, they're going to persecute and hate you as well. So the world will come against you and I and say, you guys, you Christians, you're the troubler. And again, I believe that's going to increase as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And that's what's happening with Elijah. When in reality, it was Ahab and his wickedness and, and the idol worship that he has plunged the nation into. That's what was troubling Israel. And he's spiritually blinded. He, he's, he is an instrument of the enemy. And he doesn't understand that he's the one that has brought trouble, not Elijah. Elijah is trying to bring hope and truth to the nation. So we're going to see that Elijah will issue this challenge as verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So what we see here is this, this challenge is being issued that you go and gather the people of Israel. Have them come to Mount Carmel. Now Mount Carmel... It's a very beautiful place. There's a mountain range that goes from northern Israel. It travels and runs north to south. On the very southern end of that mountain range that overlooks the Jezreel Valley. It's very beautiful, very fertile there today. And on top of Mount Carmel, uh, you can look down on the Jezreel Valley. This is where Elijah is. Because we're going to see that Ahab, at the end of this chapter, is going to run his chariot down into Jezreel Valley. In the Jezreel Valley includes the Valley of Megiddo. It's interesting today that the Israeli Air Force has an underground Air Force base that is there. And as you stand on Mount Carmel and you look out of the Valley of Jezreel, all of a sudden you see these planes coming out of the ground. It's very fascinating because of this underground Air Force base that they have. I thought you would like to know that. But it is a very interesting place. And there is Elijah. He says, bring the children of Israel 
and bring them to Mount Carmel, and you bring your prophets of Baal and Astra who eat at Jezebel's table. And so that's what they do. And Elijah came to all the people, verse 21, and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, is God, follow him. And, but the people answered him not a word. So here's Elijah. He says to the people, listen, if Jehovah is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But how long are you going to falter? And that word in Hebrew means how long are you going? Literally, it means to dance back and forth or to straddle or to sway back and forth. How long are you going to falter? How long are you going to, to uh, falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then worship him. And if Baal is God, then you worship him. You know, Jesus said that you can't have two masters. Because you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. It was Jesus that also said, you know, you're either for me or against me. There's no neutral. And it's so true today what our Lord says. You can't straddle the fence. You can't have part of your life in the kingdom of God and then part of your life in the world. And it's a miserable place to be. Because you've got too much of the kingdom to be happy in the world and you got too much of the world to be happy in the kingdom of God. So there comes a time in our lives where we need to make a decision. I'm going to follow after the Lord. And I'm going to follow after Him. Or are you going to go after the world? And eventually your heart's going to make that decision because you cannot serve two masters, as Jesus said. You're going to love one and hate the other. And that's what here Elijah is saying. You're going to follow after the Lord, you're going to follow after Baal, but you're going to have to make a decision here. And Elijah, in issuing this challenge, is going to show them that the Lord, that truly He is God. But we need to understand that we need to be ones, don't be, I pray, none of us in this room or in the place where we're faltering between two opinions. I like the world, but I do like to, you know, come and do my thing at church. I've done my duty. I've sang the songs. I said the Amen. You know, I've blurted out a few Bible verses and, you know, and, and talked to people and fellowship. But then the rest of the week you're in the world. But that we would be committed to Him and that we would say, Lord, you know what? I'm for you. I'm not going to be neutral. But I want to be one that I please you with my life. So this issue, uh, this challenge He does, and, and so... Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I alone and left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And therefore let them give us two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And so when he sets up this scenario, I want you to know that Elijah isn't just coming up with this idea. We're going to read in verse 36, he does it by the command of the Lord. This is something that the Lord is having Elijah do. You guys, you prophets of Baal, because there's 450 of you, you make this altar, you prepare a sacrifice, and you call on your God. Don't light the, the fire, you know, the wood of the, the altar to, to, for the sacrifice. You just call on your God to send fire. 
and I'm going to do the same thing. And whoever's God answered, that is truly the Lord. And they said, of course, it's well spoken. And so verse 25, now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves. You prepare it first, for you are many. And call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bowl which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there is no voice, no one answered. And then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so the prophets of Baal call on him uh, all morning long, but nothing happens. They begin to leap and dance around and work themselves to a frenzy. I just do want to say this, that sometimes as Christians we think that if, if we kind of work ourselves to a frenzy and, and then God perhaps will hear us more and, and better and, and that will get God's attention. And there's nothing wrong with having excitement with the Lord or nothing wrong with showing emotion towards the Lord, but I do want to say this, that it was in Isaiah chapter 30, that as Isaiah was saying to these people here, that you seek counsel, but not of the Lord. And he would go on to say to them and encourage them to turn to the Lord and seek counsel of him and know this, that he hears us and he sees us in our quietness. Because Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, that he says to the children of Israel, it's in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And I want you to know that. That in quietness and in confidence, confidence that the Lord's going to hear you, that he loves you, that in the quietness of your devotion, in the quietness of your heart, in a quiet place that you get away, that brings me comfort to know that as soon as I just, in the quietness of that time, give myself to the Lord, he hears me. I don't have to try to work myself into a frenzy. I don't have to you know, be all emotional if I don't want to. Again, I'm not saying that emotions are bad, but what I'm saying is don't think that, uh, you know, more emotion, the more devotion. It's not necessarily true. That you just give your heart to the Lord and you can do it in the quietness will be your strength. And he will be a voice behind you, as Isaiah chapter 30 says, that says this is the way, walk in it. So here is Elijah as these guys are getting all worked into a frenzy. And, and so verse 27, it was at noon that Elijah mocked and said, cry aloud for he is a God and either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So Elijah begins to mock their God and because of their foolishness to believe in a false God that doesn't see and doesn't hear, and doesn't speak. And he's saying to them, maybe he's busy, maybe he's meditating. There are some uh, that translate this to, maybe he's going to the bathroom, you know? Literally what it means in the Hebrew. So you can see that he is mocking them. Maybe he's busy in the bathroom. Maybe he's, you know, on a journey and sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and, and, lanches and, and latches and, until the blood gushed out of them. And then midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. What we see is when they called on their gods, Baal and Astaroth, these idol worshipers, their gods never helped them. You never see one example ever recorded in the Old Testament 
than when they called on their false gods that they ever answered, they ever heard, they ever saw, they ever helped. And that's why the prophets came along and said it's foolishness. Because they're false, they're not even real. And that's what Elijah is trying to show to them, the foolishness of their idol worship. And Elijah in verse 30 said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah prepares the altar. He says, come near to me. Pay attention, in other words. And parents, once again, if you want your kids to pay attention, you've got to be near to them. You've got to spend some time with them. You know, we spend time with them, but we need to really spend time with them talking about the things of the Lord. And again, our lives get so busy, and we can get busy with activities and with schools. I understand that, and everything else that goes on in our lives, but you've got to get near to them. And you've got to spend some time with them so they will listen to you. Repair the altar of the Lord is what Elijah did, the altar that was broken down. Apparently there was an altar of the Lord there on Mount Carmel and it repairs something that once stood strong. So how do you and I repair, strengthen our spiritual life so that you and I can become a living sacrifice? Well, let's continue verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And then the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two shays of seeds. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, Fill the water pots with water and poured it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. In verse 34, then he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he filled the trench with water. I just want to encourage you. How is it that you can renew and strengthen your spiritual life so that you and I who are called to be a living sacrifice, you pour on the water, the water of the word? Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks about being washed with the water of the word. And, and dads, you as the head of the house, wash your wife is what Paul is referring to specifically. Wash your children with the water of the word. Make sure they're getting the word of God because as they're out there in the world and we're out there in the world, all the dirt of the world is all over us, isn't it, when we come home? Don't you come home sometimes, you just feel dusty and dirty from yuck from the world all around you? Wash it with the water of the word. And Jesus would say to his disciples, disciples, you're clean by the words which I have spoken to you. In Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, how does your young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed to the word of God. Make sure that you are being washed by the water of the word over and over consistently and daily. And that's how your spiritual life is going to be renewed. So the altar and the sacrifice is soaked three times by water here. We continue verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. In verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. The wood and the stones 
and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So Elijah, he just says a simple prayer. Aren't you so glad that we can come to the Lord and we can just give our hearts in a very simple way? And there are times in our lives where we just say, Lord, just please help me. Like Peter, remember Peter when he's walking on the water? And all of a sudden he got his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. And all he had time to cry out was three you know, short words, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached out immediately. He didn't say, well, Peter, that's kind of a short prayer. you know. I'm going to let you make sure that you pray a little bit more as Peter's bobbing up and down. He immediately, it says, he reached out with those strong hands and he pulled Peter out of the boat or out of the water and plopped him into the boat. Peter the man that historians call the giant. He was a big, burly fisherman. And there are times in our lives where we feel like that we're sinking in the circumstances and the trials, and you know what? You just give your heart in a very simple way to the Lord, and he'll hear you. And that's what Elijah does. And what a sight this must have been. Fire that came down from heaven. You imagine the people saying, whoa. And all of a sudden, the sacrifice is consumed, the wood of the sacrifice, the stones, the waters, you know, is all gone. And the people say that the Lord, he is God. Jehovah, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. And then Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink. And there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of uh, Carmel, and then he bowed down on the ground and he put his face between his knees and said to his servants, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And it came at past the seventh time that he said, There's a cloud as small as a, a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Here is Elijah, this mountaintop experience, calls down fire from heaven. And as he calls down fire from heaven, you know, the people shout and take the prophets of Baal and let's execute them down in the stream below. And that's what they do. And then he tells his servant, go and look towards the sea. Is there any rain clouds? And he looks and he says, none. And Elijah puts himself in where he puts his face to the ground and between his knees. And Elijah is praying, go look again. Don't see anything. Go look again. Don't see anything. Finally, the seventh time, there's a cloud the size of a hand. And he says, you go tell Ahab, get out of here because it's going to start raining buckets. And that's what happens. I just want to end with this, and then we're going to come to the communion table. Maybe you're here tonight, and you are feeling dry spiritually. There's drought that's going on in your life and in your soul. And here is Elijah showing us what the answer to that is. Number one, taking in the word of God. And number two, that you put yourself in that posture and place of prayer. And that's what Elijah did. And he was praying with real passion is what is showing us and real purpose and putting his face to the ground and his head between his knees and he's praying to the Lord. And I want to encourage you, those two things will help you in the drought because Jesus said, come to me 
any of you that thirst, and come drink of me. And as you do, out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life and seasons and days and moments that I can feel dry and I just feel barren. And I know that there's two things for me to do. To be continuing in the Word of God, not for Bible study, but for me to take my Bible and get away to a quiet place and just read the Bible and allow the Lord to speak to me and then be in that place of prayer with real purpose. And the promise of Scripture is this, that as you draw close to Him, He promises He'll draw close to you. So tonight, as we stop here, we won't go into chapter 19, and, and I hope that you will be here for chapter 19, because after this mountaintop experience, we're going to see that Elijah is going to be in a trial and difficulty. But if you're here tonight and you're feeling dry, I want you to just spend this time as we open up the communion table and you'll be able to come up and serve yourself communion and go back to your chair and just to worship, to press in and draw close to the Lord and remember what he has done for you in going to Calvary's cross and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. This is a time of worship. Make it a time of real purpose and drawing to the Lord and remembering his love for you. And in the quietness, you can have confidence and it will be your strength. And I believe that the Lord's going to speak to you. To the church of Laodicea, Jesus said, you're the lukewarm church. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, lukewarmness has overtaken my heart right now. And Jesus doesn't leave them without any hope. He says that, behold, I stand and knock at, stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I will come in and dine with you and you with me. Jesus gives an invitation that he stands at the door and knocks. And that what it says in the Greek is he continually knocks. And maybe right now you're hearing the Lord knock on your heart. You open up your heart and he promises he will come in and dine. It speaks of fellowship and closeness. Because he hears you and that's what his desire is. You draw close to him and the promise is that he'll draw close to you. You open up your heart to him and he's going to come in and fellowship with you with that closeness. And you'll hear that voice, the still small voice of the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this time in Bible study to take the opportunity right now to just draw close to you. And, and Lord, I just pray if there's anybody that's here that maybe there's been dryness. Maybe there's been famine lukewarmness in their heart and in their walk with you. That right now they would say, Lord, no more between two opinions. Lord, I desire to just draw close to you and to live for you. Because I know that that's where there's blessing. To experience that abundant life and that joy that you have for me. 
And Lord, I pray that right now that we would take the time to just fellowship with you. And Lord, just to draw close to you as we come to the communion table, as we take of these elements, as Lord, we go back to our chairs and just remember what Jesus Christ did for us in going to Calvary's cross. This new covenant that has been given to us by the Lord. And Lord, I pray that it would be truly a time of worship. So bless this time. Meet us here. May we open our hearts to you, Lord, knowing that you will come in to promise of scripture and dine with us as we come to the communion table, as we worship you, as we do this with real passion and real purpose right now. So the Lord bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the communion table.